0: For the seventh gift of infant Christmas, an infant gave to me a rebirthed episode from 2015 called Disproving Santa.
1: You better watch out you better not cry you better not pout i'm telling you why. why santa claus is coming to town
2: no,
3: santa. santa baby just slip a sable under the tree
0: santa claus i don't
2: think santa claus
0: will mind you
3: <laughs> then what to mind? A miniature sleigh and a tiny reindeer
4: really Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus Right down Santa Claus Lane Santa tell
3: me if you're really there on the house, the reindeer, jump, good old Santa, He sees you when you're sleeping This
2: is soon, you,
3: little man. A little old driver so
2: lively and with
3: Underneath he <laughs> And they call. <laughs>
1: this is Infants on Thrones.
0: Listener, Listener Essay. Hi, listeners, uh, it's Jake, and this week Tom and I have the ever-engaging and delightful Sage Turk with us to discuss his uh, submitted listener essay, Disproving Santa. Many of you may remember Sage from um, some episodes that he was in after the infamous policy change. For reasons that will become clearer when you listen to the essay, the ensuing conversation ended up revolving around a subject that I've enjoyed for a while, which is apologetics. I know several people who engage in it pretty seriously, and I've always been fascinated by the purpose that it serves. what people get out of it and how they make it I don't know, work for them. So, as you can probably guess, I had a wonderful time. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I
3: did. Here you go.
2: You his list, you be missed by on Christmas
3: Welcome to the 21st Annual Holiday Literalist Convention. Today's keynote speaker will be the controversial Dr. Bob Humbug. His presentation, Santa Claus, Unwrapping the Truth may raise some eyebrows, but I trust you all will listen with an open mind that perhaps your Christmas spirit can touch the heart of this world-renowned Grinch. Dr. Humbug. <clears throat> yes, thank you, Wendell, for that introduction, I, I suppose. Uh, to set the record straight, it's pronounced hume My name is actually Dr. Robert hume And my presentation today is called Santa Claus, Unwrapping the Truth. Before I get into my presentation, I'd like to give you a little bit of my personal history. You see, I, like many of you, was a believer in Santa Claus for a solid eight years of my life. At that period of time, it was quite easy to believe. You see, all of my friends believed in Santa Claus. Uh, Some claimed to have even seen him. My own parents taught me the importance of naughty versus nice. All of my favorite hymns spoke of his truth, Santa Claus is coming to town up on the rooftop and countless others and every single year I communicated with Santa Claus I would write him a letter with my wishes and my hopes and my dreams and sure enough he would write me back yes at that period in my life I was a believer in fact more than a believer I was absolutely convinced but as so often the case certain experiences in life can cause one to doubt for me my seeds of doubt in Santa Claus really came from three things one, I had a friend at school who said something rather shocking to me one day. He asked me if I believed in Santa Claus. I said, of course, yes. And he said to me that there was no Santa Claus and that I was silly for believing in him. The second experience was one Christmas morning when I got the wrong Ninja Turtle action figure. The third and perhaps largest blow to my young faith was this. One day I was exploring around my parents' room when I found presents, hidden underneath the bed. These peasants were already wrapped, and in fact they were marked from Santa. Well, I literally reeled back in shock. I raced out of the room, I ran back to my own, closed the door and began to cry. Well, at that period of my life, I didn't immediately cease my belief in Santa Claus. The first step on my journey of unbelief was the apologist phase. During this time in my life, I began to find ways to explain away, find excuses for the various idiosyncrasies in the Santa mythos. I would say things like, of course Santa doesn't break the laws of physics to deliver presents around the world. He utilizes existing physical methods, like parents, to wrap and distribute presents to good boys and girls. However, eventually, that apologist mindset gave way to actual doubt. But then there is the old saying, you can leave the North Pole, but you can't leave the North Pole alone. And hence began my journey that culminated in this presentation. The journey to really discover the truth for myself. The truth about Santa Claus. And the question many people ask me is why? Prove once and for all whether or not Santa was real. Well, you see, there was a couple different reasons. One is that I decided that I wasn't being true to the little boy inside of me. The believer. Another reason is that every year I still feel something inside of me. I feel a faint cinnamony glow of the Christmas spirit, if you will. It compels me that there's something more to this belief. And thirdly, I told myself that if Santa was real, if I could verify it, I would vow to live my life in such a way as to never find myself on the naughty list ever again. And so my journey began. Now I hate to spoil the end, that I have in fact come to a resolute conclusion. After ten years of exhausted list-making, carol-singing, lap-sitting, and no-peeking, I feel my findings are quite conclusive, that there is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no such thing as Santa Claus. Now, now, before you revolt, let me help you understand how I came to that conclusion. You yourself may disagree, you may toss my evidence aside, but at least come with me on a journey as we explore in detail the five main truth claims of Old Saint Nick. So we begin. Truth claim number one. The one one true true Santa. Santa. The claim goes like this. Our current Santa can trace his authority passed down from Santa to Santa to the original Saint Nicholas. The source for this claim comes primarily from Santa expert and Kringle reenactor Tim Allen in the 1993 documentary *The Santa Claus*. I figured that to begin my research into Santa Claus, that I might as well start from the beginning and really look into who the original Santa really was. My research was shocking, poring over historical literature, in-depth scientific review and analysis carbon dating, and many advanced historical research techniques, I discovered a couple of facts. One, that the original Saint Nick was not in fact magical. In fact there are no reputable records of magical powers, time manipulation, toy creation ex nihilo, or sleep omniscience. I found that the original Saint Nick did not laugh like a bowl full of jelly. He was in fact considered quite humorless. Now did the original Saint Nick give presents? Well yes he did. But the presents were left in children's shoes not stockings and were placed near the front door not shifted through the chimney and many of these facts can be attributed to holes in the historical record perhaps the more fantastical parts of santa claus's persona were simply lost in time and those truths have been revealed but one thing that is sure that i discovered during my historical research was something quite disturbing no clear succession mechanism was ever instated by the original Saint Nick. In fact, there was a 100-year gap between Santa sightings that some scholars refer to as the Santa apostasy. You see, what we have is an original Saint Nicholas who left no clear way of passing on his legacy to the next Santa in the line. As such, my research turned up hundreds, if not thousands, of branching sects of Santa believers. Many had different names, many had different characteristics, although certain core facts seem to be shared. The one thing that was universal across all of these different Santa Claus beliefs was that the believers of Topo Gisho, Krampus, and Air Noel believed that they, in fact, were following the one true Santa and that all other Santa believers were in error. Let us move on. Truth claim number two. Santa Santa delivers delivers presents presents to all all good boys boys and girls girls of the the world. The claim is this. In a single night, Santa Claus and his reindeer deliver presents to children throughout the world. The source of this claim comes from two official hymns including Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Twas the Night Before Christmas Chapter 1 verse 23. Now there are many different facets of this claim, so let us explore it from several different angles. The first is this idea of belief. That the boys and girls who receive presents from Santa Claus need to believe in him. That they need to do good deeds to find themselves on his nice list. However, as was stated in the previous truth claim, there are dozens if not hundreds of alternate holiday belief systems. What this leaves us with is children all throughout the world who are believing in oftentimes conflicting ideas of Santa Claus. It is with this fact alone that the inefficiency of such a system of present delivery is staggering. Think of this. If a child must believe in Santa to get a present, but it does not receive a present from Santa in the first place because of unbelief, how then can he believe? There must be literally millions of children around the world who don't believe in the quote-unquote correct santa and who thus do not receive gifts, leaving only a select few core believers that are able to carry on the Santa Claus legacy. Another devastating blow to this truth claim comes from acclaimed mathematician Ebenezer Scrooge, who has empirically proven through advanced mathematical algorithms that a flying reindeer would have to max out at over two times the speed of sound to deliver all of those presents in time in a single night. The g-forces that would be sustained by speeds of that magnitude would simply crush the presents before they were delivered. Truth claim number three. Santa Santa speaks speaks through through his his chosen chosen mouthpieces. mouthpieces. The claim is, throughout the country, hundreds of Santa's chosen mouthpieces listen to children's requests and pronounce gift fulfillment on his behalf. We've seen this from many sources, including precocious Santa truth speaker Macaulay Culkin's seminal work, Home Alone. It is a family tradition millions of children throughout the world to go every year to their local shopping establishment to find the Santa Claus in residence, to sit on his lap and to ask for the wishes of their heart. However, in our research we have uncovered some unfortunate truths about these Santas by proxy. These mall Santas, as detractors call them, are actually paid for their time. It's not exactly unbiased insight that they're offering up. However, that's not nearly as troubling as the thousands of examples of conflicting gift pronouncements and unfulfilled present prophecies. An exhaustive research study was done across thousands of participants, surveying them about their experiences with mall Santas. What we found was that very often, good boys do not get their hearts desires, while the naughty boys are rewarded Christmas morning, the justice of the coal going unfulfilled. In fact, the chart which you shall see here shows the percentage of wishes that go unfulfilled the percentage of wishes that go fulfilled and the percentage of wishes that are gotten wrong what is interesting is that the following graph shows those same breakdowns but not delivered by santa claus these are presents delivered by parents as you can see the percentages of incorrect correct and unfulfilled are almost exactly the same what does this tell us well the conclusion is quite simple it is that mall centers as the chosen mouthpieces of santa claus are actually no more correct or incorrect than the average parent. It leads one to beg the question. Why is it worth asking Santa for the wish of your heart in the first place? If sheer statistical probability has an equal likelihood of getting you your wish. One final issue is that of race. Many do not know but it was not legal until 1978 for a black man to play Santa Claus. Even today the disparity of white to black Santa Claus is woefully apparent. In fact, do not even get me started on the current state of both women and Jew Santa Clauses. Truth claim number 4. Santa Santa lives lives and and operates operates in the North Pole. pole, pole, pole. The claim goes like this. Santa and his elvish helpers build yearly supplies of toys from their workshop headquarters in the North Pole. The source is, well, there's simply too numerous to mention. Let us look now at some of the evidences that challenge this truth claim. The first is that all elf sightings thus far recorded have been debunked as either a child in an elf costume or as an adult human with a growth disorder such as dwarfism, also in an elf costume. DNA evidence has proven that there are no flying reindeer on the earth today, and there have been no traces of a reindeer with flight capabilities ever discovered. Incredible advances in modern satellite imagery have shown no signs, including heat signatures, of an elaborate system of workshops, stables, gingerbread houses, or Mrs. Claus's cottage. Now I've heard many apologists say, Yes, but what about all the things that the North Pole claim gets right? such as the snow and the candy-striped pole that sticks out of the very top of the earth. Well, this may be, but I have to at least ask myself, are the potentially coincidental things that the truth claim gets right enough to make up for all of the things that it absolutely gets wrong? We move to the final claim, and this one is in fact the most difficult to refute, but allow me to quote. If a child, thus saith Santa, will do good continually for an entire year, doing nothing naughty in the sight of him, and will then go to sleep with a sincere heart and no peeking on Christmas Eve. He will visit that child's home in the night, and he will take a bite of that child's cookie. Santa inviteth all children of men to test him now herewith, whether it be of chocolate chip or of peanut butter, no raisins, and prove if it be not so. I now must give you an admission. I stand before you this day, unable to deny this final claim. I humbly admit that I have taken that challenge in my own life and year after year my Christmas cookie was eaten. Can I explain it? No, I cannot. But does it change my conclusion? No, it does not. I do still have hope that even if Santa isn't real that his influence can be, that the world can be a more rosy-cheeked place because doing good all year is its own present, and that the real spirit of Christmas isn't in a man from the sky raining gifts down upon his elect, it's in the hearts of every good boy and girl. And honestly, sometimes not knowing all of the answers can be the greatest Christmas magic of all. I thank you all for listening and wish a Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night.
1: You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pop because. I'm telling you why. He's already
0: twice, uh, at least twice, on, on a couple different episodes in the past month or so. Um, if you want to go look back at the man on the street interviews from the mass resignation, or there's the uh, on being sage Turk uh, episode as well. So that's who we're talking to, yeah, right I, now.
4: I mean, I was promised that I got to replace Bob, so i know where's that it's a guy? low
1: bar to hit
0: man. <laughs> especially these days where, where where's bob um i'm sure he's, he's he's busy and whatnot um i uh but to be fair this was actually you you actually sent me this listener essay a few weeks before the whole policy thing happened like it was it was uh the, the first kind of uh contact that was that was made and then that whole shitstorm happened and and um yeah, but this this actually came this actually preceded that in terms of creation, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. This was pre-policy. This was this is my first attempt to uh, get on infants, and then all I had to do after that was just convince Glenn that I was a lesbian, and that, that did it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the right name for it. <laughs> That's
0: what I've been told. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Tell, tell me how did this idea kind of germinate in your in your brain I mean what what because the the comparison between Santa and religion is something that is you know internet atheists have been doing for years you know it's been going around for oh, a yeah, long time yeah. you know it's not necessarily a new but it was it, this was kind of a fresh take I don't know about you Tom but this this is some this was kind of a unique twist on that idea um, is the ex Santa apologist Um <laughs>
4: you speak to what you know I guess was right. the mindset I was in yeah it was um it was sort of like two things like one uh, I just was feeling this this sudden realization as I was speaking to people that had never really been a part of the church or weren't familiar with Mormonism and you know I was just kind of steeped in in all of this uh, all these emotions and all this stuff I was feeling and I would be telling them, like, oh, and and by the way, the history was like this, oh, and the doctrine was crazy this way, and this and that, and, you know, the response was just kind of like, well, yeah, like, duh, right? <laughs> like, oh, we could have told you that. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh, and that's, I just, I was like, I really do feel like I am an adult trying to explain to other adults that I have decided to no longer believe, you know, in Santa Claus. <laughs> and the, uh, the other thing was, I was also really struggling to tell or to explain to to members, like to members of my family or whatever, what I was going through and anything that had the word Mormon in, in it or doctrine or history, uh, anything like that, they just instantly turned it off. And I was like, what if, what if I could create a parable, like a story? And I know that the Santa thing has been overdone, but it was just so, so apt. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of where that came from.
0: So, say, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something kind of dripping. There's something like scrape. It sounds like it's scraping across the microphone input or against maybe
4: the, the your laptop itself. I think it might be my shirt was rubbing up against. I think I'm using actually the headphone mic. So how's that? yeah that was it that, yeah that, that's great that's great that's perfect. well
1: and you forgot rule number one when you do podcasts with infants shirtless that's rule number <laughs> oh, one. oh yeah yeah exactly
4: <laughs> exactly okay no hold on, kid, give me one second on. <laughs> strip it <laughs> okay we're good to go um oh okay great great um pants too right that was the deal
1: that's rule number two but we haven't got there yet yeah yeah, hold on one <laughs> second. second. <So. laughs> Jumping the gun there. Yeah, I
0: know, seriously. Uh, I totally get where you're where you're coming from when you say I, I feel like an adult explaining to other adults why I no longer believe in Santa. It's people that formerly strident Mormons that are not Mormon anymore, they kind of feel like they've been dragged out of Mormonism by whatever, finding information and whatnot. You kind of feel marooned in a lot of ways because You know, the Mormons don't accept you anymore because you don't believe what they believe. And then people who weren't Mormon don't really get you either because... Yeah, no, exactly. Because you know, you're trying to be like, you know, my bridge club. I mean, to them, it's, it, it's they don't understand how immersive it was and how all-encompassing it was. And so it, to them, it's like you're going up to them and be like, you know, my bridge club said that they were started by Mary Todd Lincoln, but they really weren't. They totally weren't. Because the, the, the modern rules of bridge were, were not even invented around her lifetime. And they're like, yeah, I fucking get it. Like, join another bridge club. <laughs> like, but you don't understand.
4: Exactly. Well, you, And you have to find people of the exact same sort of tenure uh, and mindset, like you can't even just find any other ex Mormon because I'm totally annoyed by most other like ex Mormons. I'm like, ah, well, uh, you, you guys are just annoying. You're right. too <laughs> angry or you're too conspiratorial <laughs> or whatever. Like, I need people that are just right. The sort of right. Goldilocks ex Mormon that you can banter with. Uh it's hard, yeah.
1: The lukewarm that are just like, nah, whatever, dude. <laughs> it's <right>. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: that was some crazy shit, but whatever. You know, let's
0: move on. Or what? I don't know. I guess we're not moving on because we're on the, on the podcast, but still, you know, in, in theory, <laughs> maybe eventually we will. Um, <laughs> well, I guess that, that kind of leads me to the second, I mean, the biggest question that I had is like at some point engaging with stuff that is ridiculous or like, like deconstructing, it, it was just it was funny to see you deconstruct Santa that way, and to say uh, somebody you know to even allude to the idea that Ebenezer Scrooge ever <laughs> you know calculated mathematically the g forces that would be exerted on on the reindeer that visit every child in the world in one night's time. Like, is there any value in kind of deconstructing claims that are on the surface so
4: ridiculous to that level? Like what? What is the? Oh, well, that's well, that's what's super unfair about it, right? Is that the arguments that are made are built up in this almost sort of quasi-scientific way, you know? That right. and when you're totally immersed into it, it is like, oh, oh, and you can look at this, and that supports it, and there's this historical stuff that supports it, and all this modern stuff that supports it, and and so they get to build up this argument, and you can't take it down with the same arguments because they don't they don't give a shit they don't care (laughs) and to anybody else you just look like an idiot because yeah you're basically trying to prove the obvious and that's um yeah that puts you in a really awkward position but you still want to because you're like hey i want to play by your rules you were saying that there's some logical uh underpinnings of of this argument and so i'm going to use logic (laughs) right or math or science or whatever but uh, yeah they don't care right so
0: to to, to what extent did the um uh, did the arc or the the backstory that Doctor Robert Humebug, uh, Humebug that, or whatever it was, <laughs> Hume-Bug, <yeah>. Humebug, Humebug, <laughs> false. Um, like to what point he talks about his history as a Santa believer, and then you know there's this three pattern of things that cause disbelief, and then he breaks down the truth claims. To what tent to to what extent? Oh, he also talks about like being in an apologist phase, and then having kind of this last stand of belief. To what extent does that mirror your experience in Mormonism?
4: It's like a, it's an exact mirror. (laughs) That was was really it. I was just like, I started just writing down the things that I sort of eventually kind of knocked off of my shelf and I just sort of replaced them with Christmas words and it worked so, so nicely. I just thought, let's do this.
0: So which ones did you switch out specifically?
4: Well, I, I remember the first one that came to me was, I was thinking about, um, joseph smith and and sort of the succession of the church and i think it was um john hamer actually done a presentation that was the first time it ever dawned on me how just crazy all the different schisms were and sort of clarified like oh yeah you know that the modern church is really just brighams the brighamites like they're just that sect and they sort of you know this sort of natural selection happened and they happened to be the ones that got isolated and You know, they sort of thrived in this weird sort of fucked up way in in isolation. But then, uh, long story short, you have this uh, clearer picture of there was no plan. (laughs) There was no mechanism in place for this thing to actually happen. And for some weird reason, my brain thought of Tim Tim Allen at the you know the Santa Claus, (laughs) where he gets that little card and he's like, Oh, you're the next Santa Claus. That's the rule, that's how this works.
0: Something should happen to me. Put on my suit, the reindeer will know what to do.
2: You
0: killed him. Did not check out Santa's (laughs) (laughs) Uh sleigh! When you put on the suit, he fell subject to the Santa Claus. The Santa Claus? What does that mean? It means you put
4: on the suit, you're the big guy. Ha! Like, <laughs> right. That is such a stupid idea to compare the <laughs> two, but it's kind of kind of great. So, uh, So that's actually, that was the first one, was like the succession thing. And it's like, oh yeah, if I could prove and show that the first Santa was actually kind of a dick, and also that there <laughs> were no Santas, there was no plan for additional Santas after that, well then... I just disproved Mormonism using Santa Claus, and that's great.
1: <laughs> did you feel like? Did you feel like when you're? I mean, I, tell me your intentions. But when you're going through this, were you trying to take a satirical approach to really poke holes at apologetics in general? To try to explain yes. certain <laughs> stuff, like go at a scientific direction, like, yeah, well, you want to go mental gymnastics? Let's do this. Did, did you was that part of your intention or no? Yeah,
4: no, 100. percent Because I went through such a huge apologist phase. I mean, I I would actually this is like for a couple of years. I would be in church on my phone looking up fair, right? Like really, of, wow. Instead of listening instead of listening to the lesson, it'd be like, okay, okay, what's what do they have to say about uh, uh, the the seer or stones or the you know the transoceanic vessels or whatever? And mm-hmm. I loved it. I just I just ate it up. And then one day, it just it, it all just I don't know, something just shifted, and it just became utter nonsense, and I realized, oh, this is just so much hot air, and <laughs> it's just, yeah, it just, it just all of a sudden just hit me like a wave, and so, yeah, I kind of wanted that, that sort of making so much effort to say so little, that's really what I felt like so much apologetics were, it's that all this effort to really eventually just sort of say, oh, and it doesn't really matter, right, or just, just sure. trust us. There's, no, there's there's nobody behind the curtain.
0: Right, so, so what is the purpose of apology? I mean, do you think that, are, are there some people that, I mean, it obviously works for some people, or is it just a transitory phase? Like there's one hard, there's like 10 hardcore apologists and they write 90% of the stuff that exists today. And then everybody else is just transient people that are leaving the church. I mean, how, like it must fulfill some need with people, but among the people I know, and I just obviously don't know the right people, like it, it just seems like, it's a. They have a very similar experience. There's some kind of honeymoon phase where it's like, oh, there's so, there's something, there's faith-promoting answers out there. But then after a certain point, you kind of hit a brick wall, right? You hit the bedrock of logic, and it's like it's not we we still haven't solved this issue. I don't know. How long did you spend in an apologist phase, Tom, or did you spend, did,
1: did you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, I, I was in there for several years too. And I, for, a, for a while, and maybe Sage, you can explain how it was for you, but it felt like it was giving me a, either a direction or the answers that I was looking for. And I do mean that with a question mark, Yeah. because for, you know, it would give you answers, some of them were somewhat satisfactory, but most weren't. But for the time being, it's always like, well, this is the best answer that we can give you by still remaining in that faithful realm. Um, so there you go. You know, but it still left like these like, eh, but it, there's still like all the pieces of the puzzles still aren't there. But I, I don't know. I, I, I probably did it for I don't know, two or three years, maybe four. Before I, you know, I, I got to a point where I'm like, what was it that where you just ask that one question like, okay, so I've got all these problems, all this stuff on the shelf. Or if I just look at it through the lens that the church might not be true, then like everything on the shelf is gone.
4: Oh, yeah, that's all it takes. And it's it, just that single that single question you allow yourself to ask, right?
1: Yeah, and then you just look at it and like, oh, so... Wow, that eliminates all those problems or the all those like mental gymnastics that's required in order to make everything work or fit or whatever. Right,
4: that was that was actually my realization. It was like you know every single one of those apologist articles you could reduce the the twelve thousand words with just like one sentence and just like oh well the church is probably not true. And that actually answers <laughs> kind of everything. That's pretty
0: parsimonious. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, let, let's do a thought. Wait, episode. wait, wait, yeah, wait, wait, ahead. Jake. J- Jake, did you do apologetics? Did you get into that? No, I, you know, I never really went through a very apologetic phase. Um, like oh, I, I, I did very, well, see, <laughs> that's the thing is I'm actually kind of interested in the whole, in, in this whole thing. I, I, am trying to understand like what the appeal of it is because there are people in, in my, my family and extended family that they really got it, that are really into it. You know, they're, they're, and they're smart, like educated people, um, but in my case, I, I had like, and I, I, w- I was an apologist, but out of ignorance. So just a basic idiot. Uh, <laughs> like I was just kind of like a, like every time I heard about things was just the first time I'd ever heard about it. Or it was, you know, I, I just didn't really think about things and people were like, what about gay people? And I was like, well, you know, oops. I, I don't know. I, just, I, I would, <laughs> I didn't have, they'll be straight in the afterlife. <laughs> right, right. Like I, it was very, very simple. Like I didn't try and think about it or be sophisticated about it at all um so there's that phase but that was before i even really seriously considered any of the questions once i started seriously considering the questions i never was i would i never was at a point where i would hear or read apologetic arguments and really find them very convincing even for very long it was it was, uh, there was always a kind of a deep deep skepticism like
1: ugh, that is really even that's like a stretch Because I know that you've talked a little bit about, like, the Book of Mormon historicity. Mm -hmm. You don't like the apologetic answers there where it's like Mesoamerican, the limited geography theories and all that crap. You never bought into that stuff?
0: No, not really. Just because I didn't. So I I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the fact that I grew up in... uh... You know, I, I grew up near uh, reservation territory. Uh, I went on a Ameri- I went on a mission to, to Latin America. My parents. I always grew up with a very clear idea that the primary ancestors, you know, the that the Lamanites were the primary ancestors of of the uh, indigenous Americans. So that was that was what I had in my in my head. And at no point did I ever really see. I mean, but by, by the time. I was ready to even wrap my head around a possibility that they lived in a small area. It was so shaky that I wasn't really going to be convinced by that either. I, I guess it was it was weird. There was like a really short half life on all that for me. Oh, okay. For me, like, yeah,
4: Well, that's that's surprising for me to hear too, Jake. Because I, I mean, just the brother Jake videos just seem to also just skew skewer apologists or apologetics just so mm-hmm. perfectly so do you actually go to that when you're like studying like a new brother jake video and you kind of glean from there or you just oh yeah just kind of yeah. naturally know how to do that
0: no i mean I, I i definitely dive into some of the apologetics most of the stuff that i've that i've looked at have been pretty um there have been things where you don't really have to get too deep into the technical stuff. Like if I ever did DNA in the Book of Mormon, that would be one where I'd have to really immerse myself in some, you know, thousands and thousands of words of of apologetics <laughs> to kind of get my head wrapped around the way to go about it. But in most cases, <laughs> I try and limit Brother Jake's perspective to somebody that you could reasonably expect a typical member to know generally. Right. So that I, I luckily, I kind of set those parameters in my head beforehand, yeah. so I don't have to worry about it.
4: Well, my take my take on apologetics, and this is I think I mean there's really for me two key reasons why people get into it. So one, apologetics is just sort of a self-evident thing. It's like the fact they exist just makes you feel good. Like you right, almost don't okay. have to yeah. it's like the essays, right? It's like, oh, I see these list of topics and they've got it covered. And I've never really been taught how to critically think, so I'm just gonna take their word for it and I'm gonna just buy into their arguments, no problem. So there's like a comfort knowing it's there. Yeah, it's the whole.
1: It's the whole smarter men than you already figured this out and came out the other end. There's nothing
4: to see here. Move along. Exactly. For me, the second and most important reason to have apologetics is because it makes you a badass when you go to Sunday school and you can like trot out all kinds of like great factoids. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Because you're like, oh yeah, you guys (laughs) are talking about the Book Mormon, but hey, guess what? And,
1: I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I can I can <laughs> swoon you with my intellectual know-how. Yeah, right.
4: I've actually heard of these things called the <coughs> seer stones, and you watch me you know, freak out. You right. just sort of laugh. Yeah. You drop the mic. You know.
1: Yeah, you can flex.
4: At the same so, time. yeah, right. the bell so, of the yeah. ball is is great.
0: Right, and if you're going infant style, you never you don't have a shirt on in the first place, so it's it's even <laughs> easier to to flex at that point. Um, wait, so let me ask you about being badass in in Sunday school was it a badass in the sense that you could say things that would make the other members feel edgy, but you're like, yeah, I got this covered. Or was it like when the, when the sticky, sticky issue came up, you had the right answer and like, well, in the original Greek, you know, or whatever, w- w- yeah. which, which was it more of?
4: Well, <laughs> was I, it both? I think it was both, but it was definitely, I, I loved being able to sort of, I push boundaries, quote unquote, but that's the other thing too. I mean, if you're armed with apologetic stuff, I mean, you can never push it that far. It's always like a safe pushing, but Oh no, I love that. I love when somebody would be speaking or the teacher would be up talking about something and you'd just be sitting back and just waiting for your moment to just destroy them.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. So it was a little bit, there
4: was like, no, Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: I had I had a few moments like that, too, where I'd be like, excuse me, but uh, Elohim is actually the pl- plural version of God. It's not like, it's not the name of God. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. And they're like, what are you talking about? Elohim, no, the temple told us Elohim is his name. <laughs> exactly. You don't know what you're talking about. And then I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, my favorite one was like Elias, like that Joseph Smith just totally screwed up up i mean he called it like john the baptist on the hill of the mount of transfiguration and it was clearly it couldn't have been him because it was a resurrected <laughs> Ding, but just and, like seriously if anyone wants to have fun and just see like the worst apologetics of all time actually in scripture just go to the bible dictionary look up elias and you'll see it. and it was also <laughs> kind of like in the temple he like came and of course you know as an apologetic person, you love pointing that stuff out, and you're like, "Oh, look!" And I understand that he actually was transfigured temporarily without a head, I guess, and they stuck it back on, and <laughs> for like 20 <laughs> minutes, and then he had to go back and be dead again. Oh, it's, it's great.
1: Well, <laughs> even go back to the going back to the Book of Mormon geography, you know, I I kind of bought into the limited geography or the Mesoamerica stuff, and then when uh, Meldrum started coming around. You know, puffing his chest out, saying, "No, homeland, homeland, that's where it's at." You know, Palmyra in New York, that's where it said, and it got all these, you know, like hardcore apologists, you know, ruffling their feathers, like, "How dare he? He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing." And I started. I, it was one of the funnest moments where I just sat back and just watched all that infighting. <laughs> It was. It was. It was. Like, it was you know, going to be
4: the king of nonsense town. That's what I thought. <laughs> <All> right.
1: <laughs> it was like, yeah. The only thing missing was, a, you know, an elephant on a beach ball or something like that. It oh was, yeah. God. It was a beautiful circus. Oh yeah, I got,
4: I got really into that. I got my one of my favorite Jags was going off on um, sort of Earth and the creation. So I, I started like studying all this stuff, reading apologetics where the planet, like planets, have like literal sex and they're born. And wait, wait. Was, I'm like, sorry. Spell that. Spell that word. <laughs> s-e-x <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's how That's how planets are created you think that the planets reproduce sexually is that what that was the idea yes planets were born they also have to be <laughs> baptized that's what the flood was they're also going to die and be resurrected that's what the whatever the paradisical glory is oh it's all in the scriptures man just read your so, so
1: there's female planets yes. and male planets is is, and...
4: is the earth a female planet or a male planet
1: Ask her or him? I
4: mean, I don't know. if you ever looked inside a volcano, you'd know. <laughs> See, I was, I
0: was going along with San Andreas Fault, but maybe it's because I was thinking about, <laughs> I don't know, or the you Mariana Trench. Enough, the Mariana just, Trench, just one, guys.
4: Just one day Jupiter just started just coming up on us. Right. right. Uh, yeah. I did not think it was going to end like this, but uh, what are you going to do? Some this. smooth jazz. Start playing through the cosmos. You just have to roll with it just Yeah. You know, right. just,
1: just. What's a nice planet like you doing <laughs> in plays like this?
4: Oh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. That's that's what made apologetics fun too cuz you're just like, "Oh, I since I literally believe in it, it's like I can believe in the craziest shit and I will actually believe in it. Like, I don't need science when I've got earth sex and unevolution and stuff like that like that's that's
1: fun stuff I, I still remember one of the theories um and i don't remember if this was floating around apologetics or if it was seminary stuff one or the other about the whole uh somebody implanting or planting the dinosaur bones yes uh-huh. I, this was part of the creation theory or something like that where it's still no the earth still is around six 000, seven thousand years old but you know god you know, it was kind of putting us. He planted all this evidence to make us think that the Earth was older than it actually is, or whatever it is.
4: Oh, that's a, that's a classic one. I mean, there are people that still yeah. still believe it's like a, basically it's the old worlds were sort of ground up and then like rebuilt. Like they didn't quite
2: <laughs> yeah. mash
4: the play doh yeah. together thoroughly enough. So yeah, you've just got dinosaurs that lived on another world. They're just dinosaurs are alien bones <laughs> mashed into a six thousand year old Earth perfect <laughs> layers like a cake I mean yeah it makes it makes a lot more sense when you think but but,
0: but uh, so the question I'm asking is I see I don't g- get the purpose of this type of thing because <laughs> apologetics, entertainment
4: I, no you <laughs> don't want to think about the book of abraham like those black holes so
0: well like people people want to people turn to apologetics obviously because of some sort of need and a lot of times it's because their faith's been shaking or about something they need to figure out oh this doesn't square with the kind of post enlightenment Scientific worldview that I'm part of. So then they turn to apologetics. But if you're way off the freaking grid, having planet sex and stuff, like, what's the (laughs) point? I mean, you haven't solved anything, you know.
1: (laughs) No, but you've caused the smokescreen. Now, now you have so many diversions. You forgot what the original
4: question was. Uh, That's that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, because well, I mean, it's like, uh, especially apologetics now. I mean, a site like Fair, it's like, it's like you go down that Wiki Hole, right? You're like, he started looking up and trying to find out what the kinderhood plates were but uh there's that yeah. link that talks about did jesus or did god really have sex with mary like for real like yeah i'm gonna yeah,
1: <laughs> next thing you know you're up to your eyeballs and adam god and you're like where did i start what happened how did i even get three
4: here? days later yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: right <laughs> so, okay well this, this i guess this is making so, some sense. I, I actually just realized where why I didn't go down the the kind of apologetics hole um, rabbit hole with the Book of Mormon stuff. It's because I became familiar with the limited geography theory, like. Five days before I listened to the Michael Co interview on Mormon Stories, <laughs> and I, <there> was no, <laughs> that's very specific. Five days. Yeah, I mean, it was like okay. right after. I was like, limited geography. I was like, Mesoamerica. All right, this could, this could make some sense. And then I was kind of listening to some Mormon Stories episodes, and I list and I and you know they they I saw the one with Michael Co. It came up in like a Google search or something like that, and it was just devastating. I mean, the guy is this like yeah. I mean, he's he's a god in in Mesoamerican archaeology and just the nicest guy, most cordial guy you could ever imagine. but totally yeah, except for that, he
1: does, he doesn't really hold back in that interview. He's just kind of like matter of factly just stating it like, no, that's ridiculous. I don't know who whoever said that could be possible. right. No. right. I
0: mean that but that's the thing is like he was so I mean because he was super nice. You could just tell he was just generally a nice guy. But he's like, you know, as a professional person, no, hell no. Like, of course not. And (laughs) I don't know, like, his candor was totally disarming. Like, I just, uh, Anyway.
4: Well, well, that's part of it. I think, I mean, Mormonism already, like, bakes into a superiority complex, and apologetics just ramps that up to 11, because almost every apologetic argument is like, oh, no, no, you are dumb (laughs) to have thought ever that that the Book of Mormon Peoples could have had anything to do with the Mayans. That's stupid. They're Mayans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it'll happen in New York. Duh. Like, yeah. It's so easy. And and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, duh. And then yeah, you go to Sunday school and then you don't have a shirt on and you feel awesome. Right. <laughs> well that so so that that's interesting to
0: me though, that, that superiority complex and the idea of feeling like a badass in Sunday school is being part of it because I I think that's ri- I, yeah, I mean that that sounds right to me just because they're I don't know apologists kind of see themselves almost as a but I mean if you look at like the way that these hard kind of the hardcore old school apologists out there like Bill Hamblin or Dan Peterson or Lou Lee like they're they're out there but they I think that they actually kind of see themselves as a step above even the general authorities because general authorities I mean they're technically leaders they have the priesthood power and stuff but like. The, the Dan Peterson's of the world, I think they do see themselves as like the the intellectuals deep behind enemy lines, it, it, it oh, reinforcing yeah. the belief system, helping people. Like, they, they're the special ops.
1: So so are you saying that maybe they think that there could be a scripture or verse written about them that says, you know, Dan Peterson did more to save the church, <laughs> save Jesus only?
4: Well, I it's don't think like, you say that. I think once it starts showing up in... Uh, Enzyme articles. I think you basically have like (laughs) test approval. You know, like it shows (laughs) you've won. You know, right, right, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Like I have, I have. Here's here's the story. So I had two two cousins that were were, were a little backwards, and they both were just obsessed with Star Trek. And I remember when I was a kid, they literally got in a fist fight like over how many bathrooms were on the Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) And one kid was like. Because the, they actually had a poster that was sort of a schematic, right? Like an architectural. <laughs> he's like, it clearly shows no. that there are eleven. Blah, blah, blah. And this other kid was like, no. If you count all the instances of moments in the novels when they talk about it, yeah. And and they, you know, the kid that the the older brother that won and beat his little brother up, just I know he felt so superior. He had won the right. world's the world's most ridiculous argument, but <laughs> that's kind of what it is, right? <laughs>
1: Uh, there's a special place in my heart for nerd rage. There really is. <laughs> That's
4: what it is. It's, it, <laughs> yeah, this is a Mormon version of nerd rage, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, it, it's pure, it, it, the thing
0: is, it's the purest form of rage that there is, I think, because there's literally nothing to be gained <laughs> from, <laughs> fi- from winning done. that fight. It is literally, I mean, there's no, like, you're not fighting over food or resources or sexual opportunities. There is
4: nothing on the other side of that fight. <laughs> I was like, in fact, it's the opposite of you know, all of those things, especially right. sexual reproduction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, it scratches a really, really specific itch that I don't know. I think I actually think that it is kind of part of a, a Mormon mindset. I actually know. I mean, myself and lots of people I know, you kind of have this sort of geek out mentality because that's what the mormon church is right it's like everybody else kind of has sort of loose you know sort of ideas but man we have specifics and that's cool and you keep going down that rabbit hole and you can find out oh shit there's a handshake that proves who's the devil and i'm gonna get a white stone and all these like weird esoteric details that feel like they're adding up to something like you're unlocking some kind of hidden <laughs> da vinci code it's right. <laughs> and you're like okay i, I swear there's something about this that i'm not getting because it's got to be a code and not just nonsense right so, so did you participate
0: you know, actively or were you kind of a lurker like you would go to the ferris website and read and and then feel like a badass in sunday school or did you interact with people online and like participate in
4: forums and stuff okay yeah, i do have to admit i actually i tried to submit something that got kind of shot down but so i mean this was the benefit Ooh,
0: okay i want to hear
4: this so i served i served in salt lake city so i heard it all and there were like there were some crazy crazy things and i have this whole journal so we, we can just do like an episode one day that's all just like the crazy shit that i heard on my mission in salt lake but uh so i actually met cleon Scousen, like what yeah a couple of years before he died no <clears throat> way i first of all i hadn't
0: yeah. i had no idea he died that recently
4: yeah yeah i thought he died like 40 years ago or 30 nope. years ago
1: or something Nope. Yeah. So so did the man equal the myth that I've heard about?
4: Uh, in my mind, yeah. I mean, he loved having missionaries over and it was exactly that. He was like, You want to have your mind blown? And he would actually say something like that. He's like, Do you guys want to just hear something that that you will never hear anywhere else? And you just can't tell anybody. It's it's too sacred, but I'll share it with you right now. And <laughs> I've shared it with every other missionary who's ever come. <laughs>
1: Mars <laughs> Mars has had sex with Venus. <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh, no, he, so, he had um, <laughs> lots of, <laughs> it was Jupiter, I already said that. Right. Planet, oh, yeah, well, Jupiter yeah. had sex with Earth, Planetary right, yeah. Planetary dominance, right, the, the, <laughs> the Alpha planets. Yeah, the big, the Sat- big guy. Saturn's yeah.
1: called for because it has a ring on it, yeah. <laughs>
4: There you go, yeah. Okay, so, so, yeah, this, the idea was that there's some, it's like a, there's a section in the Doctrine and Covenants which talks about, like, the stem and the rod of Jesse and it's oh uh, it's really obscure but he was like you want to have your mind blown so the so the rod of Jesse is Joseph Smith and the root <laughs> rod of Jesse There you go, yeah. Which actually makes kind of sense. I mean that's that was his nickname in high school but, <laughs> but, then, but then he says okay the rod of Jesse is Joseph Smith but the root of Jesse <laughs> is actually wait for it. The resurrected Joseph Smith He's gonna come back to life, and he's gonna lead us into the second coming, and it's gonna be freaking awesome. Wow. And my little missionary, I just blew up. It was just like, holy shit, resurrected yeah. Joseph Smith with the muscles and the everything and the shining and the. That's
1: like this. Yeah, that's like a spiritual wet dream
4: right Oh there. Yeah, yeah, just
1: like blasted
0: out yeah. of the earth like a full glory. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's some, like that's some like Pokemon stuff.
4: Like he's yeah. <laughs> or like Super Pokemon. Saiyan, you know? Like, oh yeah, he, he's yeah, he's. Just, Smith evolved, yeah, I mean, just, it was that kind of stuff, and that, yeah, so on my mission, I just heard tons of that kind of stuff, and that, that was what I tried to submit, so I tried to submit a little uh, article thing on the, uh, the, the Root of Jesse, but the only source I had, which, by the way, these guys are strangely, like, insistent on having sourced materials which is really weird but anyway my only source was like yeah old weird cleon scousin told me once on my mission <laughs> that's that should have been credibility enough and this right. cool picture i drew <laughs> yeah. process so
0: awesome. so did, so Cleon would just say stuff like would you ask like based on what or would you say like where does it say that or or did that not cross your mind like do not question this man
4: uh yeah, didn't really cross the mind to ask because so this was I went over there twice and that was the second time and the first time is he took us through and this has actually kind of gained some notoriety but there's like this probably like forty scripture long scripture chain uh, that talks about sort of the nature and science of God have you guys heard of this
1: I don't think so Maybe. if I had I would blocked it oh
4: yeah. man this, this has gotten out there but so basically you literally jump between 40 different scriptures across the New and the Old and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price, which basically sort of supposedly proves that God, the science of God is his honor, so that he's so good that that's actually why stuff obeys him and that's why he can never do wrong, and Jesus was so good that 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 allowed him to break the rules and not punish us for our sins, which allowed Jesus to be... A sacrifice for us and basically the universe looked the other way and was kind of like oh no like it's okay so so
1: be so being good is like the force that actually broke physics in half yes
4: holy yes. crap yeah,
1: yeah. that's face melting yeah. that's face melting that, stuff yeah, That
4: god honor is actually his only power and if you ever did anything wrong then atoms and physics and all the stuff wouldn't follow him they wouldn't give a shit
0: oh Jesus yeah so damn
4: good that god was able to break the rules just once for us again <laughs> face <face-meled, laughs> right release. <laughs> Dude, I, thought I, I thought this was a lesson once. It was, like, it was an hour long of just going through Scripture after Scripture and people just going cross-eyed. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I mean, yeah I'm feeling lightheaded right
4: now. Yeah. But again, wow. that's all that's all you have to do because then people are just like, holy shit, this guy knows his Scriptures. I'm going to listen to everything he says. And that's what we did with Jan and Pretty much everybody else in my life who was able to quote a Scripture Mastery verse or something like that.
1: I tried reading one of his books and I was like, what the hell is this? And yeah. And I never made it past like page three. So yeah, uh-huh. I, read,
0: I read the whole, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm a little bit proud of this. Um, I uh, read the entire 5,000 year leap.
1: You, you did.
0: Not. I, <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, I wow. absolutely did. Cause my mom got it for me. It was actually after I was like, I don't really believe in the church or whatever. my mom was like, uh, for some reason, she
1: thought this was going to be the thing. She was like this. It's, this- not, call- it's not called a 5,000-year leap, though. It's like <laughs> – I don't remember what it's called. It's 5,000 millennia- – what is it called?
0: It's called a 5,000-year leap.
1: Yeah,
4: is it? that's actually what it's called.
1: Yeah. Well, if you it, were- yeah, why am I even
4: questioning you? Yeah, why you? are you questioning you? Know, it's no, <laughs> not- Shame on me. <laughs> Boo. Yeah, but that's, what, that's your mom. She was like, you know, this this kid needs some apologetics in his life. Yeah this is this
0: is going to tip the scales and I'm reading this thing and and he's talking about how our forefather uh, how the the you know right along in the constitutional convention they they uh, ratified the the university or the university fuck <laughs> <laughs> the 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 motto for for the United States of America, which is In God We Trust, and I was like, No, they didn't. That was like in
4: 1943. <laughs> oh man, I mean, make no mistake, Cleon Skousen was batshit insane. Even even the church is like disavowed almost everything he's ever said. I mean, it's right, right. The guy was no, too. The guy was too right wing even for President Benson, which is totally nuts. <laughs> right, he like got kicked out of the John Birch Society for being too crazy or something. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a, it's like almost impossible, but. He found a way. Right. That's like, yeah. That's
0: that's like freaking out the NRA and being like, dude, calm down. Like, if the NRA tells you, like, you should lighten up on the stockpiling. Like, you're way, you're off the deep end, man. You are, you're Rambo, whatever. Um, but yeah, he's 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 crazy. So so, coming back to that apologetics thing, I think I understand what you're saying. That apologetics gives you kind of this inside track um, on knowledge makes you feel special, but does it live, did did it alleviate your doubts specifically or does it just provide you enough with enough distraction that you didn't really think about it? Or did you like, did you, did you, did it give you answers for the questions you were asking specifically or did it just provide, just flood you with enough information where you're like, well, there are generally answers here. I'm feeling better about, I'm learning some things and that'll, that does it for me.
4: Yeah, in, in some cases, it absolutely I think provided what I what was satisfactory answers for me at the time,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, because I wasn't I wasn't savvy on sort of the tricks that they would use. I mean I mean a, like a classic apologetic technique is just to discount the the source material, right? Mm-hmm. It's like half those articles is just like, oh hey, did you you know we saw this guy drinking coffee once, or have you seen his Facebook page? Like you know he posted yeah. the rainbow flag, like don't listen to him or something. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, it's that all the right. time. Almost every single, like, author, book, it has nothing to do with the book itself. I mean, you should read the stuff they talk about Grant Palmer. Just They never even talk about the book. It's always just, oh, yeah, well, this guy was disfellowshipped at one point, and we, we saw a, a paper he had written once that had the had God with a lowercase g or something, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but for me, that was actually, like, because I, I didn't realize what they were doing. I was like, oh, yeah. Because like, first off, the reason you're at the apologetic site is because you want a safe haven and you don't want to like cross into enemy anti territory because that's mm-hmm. scary and it makes you feel sick and sad inside. Mm-hmm. And so if you can go on the apologetics website and they can tell you that place uh, that you were planning on looking at, or that person that you were going to read a book on, no, 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 I can vet, we can vet them as unsafe waters. Well, that was good enough for me. I was like, I do not even give a shit what they say in their book. Cause that guy uses God with a lowercase g, and that's super disrespectful.
1: Wow. Yeah, so a lot of information you just sweep right off the table. Yeah.
4: And then sometimes there would be some scientific stuff. I mean, that's like, you know, the Book of Mormon. You'd be looking at it, and, you know, they'd find some weird rock that had a symbol on it that kind of sort of looked like a cross <laughs> and <laughs> not at all like two scratches. Yeah, with your eyes squinting. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, it's that kind of stuff that you're just like, oh, look, see, the church is true. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Well,
1: So, go, so, so going back to the Santa thing, I wanted to ask you about this because as I'm listening to your essay, I can't – I just kept going back in my mind like why, why is he not going with the the best, in my opinion, the best answer of all of this? And, and I even kind of Googled like uh, physics of Santa <clears throat> to hear some of the – the bullshit, you know, explanations like, yeah, oh, he's got to be going, you know, eight times the speed of sound in order to make it happen or whatever. I mean, the same sort of apologetic, you know, circus numbers. I'm like, wow, people actually spent time writing this down. OK, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, magic, Sage, magic. Right. Couldn't, couldn't you have essentially mm-hmm. just said, um, well, to in order to di- disprove Santa, I've got to disprove magic. But you, it was almost like you, you kind of had to stay with the angle like, nah, magic, no, we, we're gonna stick with like science and physics and kind of go that route. But I kept thinking, why isn't he just saying Santa equals magic? So all this, all this stuff is nonsense. Why are you wasting time going down the other road? Like if if he has a pouch full of pixie dust or whatever, then <laughs> there you go.
4: I don't understand what you're trying to say about magic.
1: Well, because it, it's the, it's the answer-all. No,
4: I'm just I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you trying to discredit magic? Right. <laughs> <The rails. laughs> <laughs> hold up, hold up.
1: Fancy, like, wait, I, wait, wait, I've been
4: to Vegas, yeah. Right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy that can, like, a, a puppet speaks in his mouth, does not move. It's incredible. Right. Because uh, well, uh, even, yeah, even in a way,
1: candle. even with apologetics within Mormonism, if if they pull the whole, you know, spirit or you know for all intents and purposes magic if they if they want to pull that card out like well revelation or you know god told me to or the spirit testified you know that's that's the magic card oh, yeah. like bam
4: the instant shutdowns or just are god's, it, god's yeah, ways are not I, our I, ways that's that's
1: there's no rebuttal to that like oh I guess I was just okay. Sorry.
0: Well, and that's the question. I mean, that's what, what I was getting at with asking, what's the purpose of apologetics and all that? What I was getting at was the was that question specifically, like why why go through all these, why try so hard to to make it fit into uh, an empirical or fit into some sort of rational framework, when at the end of the day you don't really believe that this stuff is subject to the laws of nature. You you just you know, at the end of the day, like even if the very thing you think is the thing that makes it not falsifiable, if that ends up being the opposite and it is falsifiable or you know, whatever, impossible. Let's say that they test every single, let's say that they scour every square inch of Mesoamerica and the Nephites are not there, the apologists will still say, eh, well, you know, magic right? They'll still say something along those lines. So, like, why not cut out the middleman? And why go through the effort of trying to build up all this pseudo-intellectual scaffolding around all these beliefs?
1: <laughs> well, and with, and with Santa, and you know, I'm reading all the numbers that they've crunched. and and, I, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just thinking, well, in my mind, if Santa has, like, pixie dust, or if he has this electronic device that allows him to go through the time-space continuum, he can hit every house in one night, no problem, because he can stop time and Go wherever he wants, and you know, he, he can. It could take months or years for him to hit every house, as far as his his you know his time frame goes. <laughs> I mean, it's just right. like you well, know, if we're just gonna open, you know, even just crack the door to magic, there, there you go. Well, because, Possibilities because are
4: endless. Mormonism has always like traditionally strayed away from that, like that. This, I mean, that's what we make fun of other religions. You know, like they believe in in magic, or, or I remember like. Making fun of the Catholics because they believe that you know transubstantiation—that it actually <laughs> becomes the body of Christ—like you guys are idiots. Like, why would you ever believe something so <laughs> stupid? You know, a virgin getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. it's actually it's actually twelve-year-olds that say a spell on it that makes it special, right?
1: Right, right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> a spell. <laughs> But it's, I mean, that's, that's for me was one of the appeals of Mormonism was that, oh, oh, there is actually a logic underneath, like, yeah, kind of, we call it priesthood, but there's something underneath that there's like inner workings. And this is going to be totally obscure. But I remember as a kid, you remember the show Darkwing Duck?
0: Darkwing yeah, Duck. Yeah, vaguely. No. I'm, a, I'm I aware like, of the character.
4: He's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know him. Go on. The it was this it's such a weird show. It was basically like Batman, but in like duck form. It was a cartoon. So <laughs> mm, okay. I don't even get how this happened. Anyway, <laughs> there was an episode where they met sort of like an Adams family style like family of ducks that were like magicians and ghouls and that kind of thing. And my little mind really found it appealing that in that episode he sees behind the curtain, like there's a little curtain, they unveil it, and there's all these chalkboards with like equations and they're like, oh yeah, magic isn't magic. You actually have to like do this, these equations in your head, and if you get them wrong, like, like you know, that'll, that'll screw up the spell and blah blah blah. And I was like, oh yeah, uh-huh. magic has rules. That's cool. And that actually that was... drove me crazy with Harry Potter that there was like spells like Avada Kedavra that would just kill someone with no recourse or you didn't have to pay a price or anything. I was like, that's not real magic. No magic <laughs> has rules, and that was <laughs> and that was my nerd. Battle. Me and okay. Into. okay. So, so
1: behind, so for, so for you behind the Mormon curtain, science. There, there was like some scientist with math yeah. on a chalkboard, and he's favorite, like,
4: Dude. "Yeah, one of my favorite books is called Joseph Smith, Scientist, <laughs> which I think has done more <laughs> to work? disprove him as a scientist." But
2: <laughs> well, who did that yeah, book? Did I don't know book. I'm googling oh. it right now.
4: Joseph this Smith. is a, yeah. This is a, an old book. I mean, this is like from the early. Or the late eighteen hundreds, or something like that. Wow, Uh, Joseph Smith, scientist. Oh yeah, and it talks about all these like things that he would talk about, like oh, what is? Because somebody asked him once, like what, what, what has a soul and what doesn't? Like what animals do and don't have souls? And he had a very scientific answer, which was, if it jumps when you put your finger by it, it has a soul. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making this up. That was his definition. (laughs) So (laughs) Fisher out. All fish are out. In fact, all all water creatures. Certain, yeah, I mean just you know, pretty much any, any jumping bugs, anything below that, just nope.
1: Well, that makes perfect <laughs> sense to me.
4: Jump. Science. Joseph the scientist, yeah, he scientifically proved it because he said it.
1: <laughs> no lab coat required. He, boom.
4: <laughs> well, then you got I mean you got you have guys like Henry B. Iring, like his dad, and was like an actual scientist. Yeah. And Neil Maxwell, you kind of thought he was like it's something to do with science, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah think think like it's like
0: one. a something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you uh, read
4: a science book once or something. Right. <laughs> uh, man, that, that is...
1: Did you find the book,
4: Jake? Well, yeah.
1: It's, it's actually...
0: I think it's called Joseph Smith as Scientist.
4: Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I think
0: it. it's uh, written by John Woodstow.
4: Woodstow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. John
0: Woodstow. Um, Kindle. For, on Kindle for six ninety five. 6 <laughs>
1: what what's the copyright? Um
0: there are five customer reviews.
2: Uh, <laughs> should we read, the read best these? One. Please
0: yeah, please okay, read. hold on. There's only five. Like what are they okay? So see there's there's uh <laughs> let's see there are five customer reviews and there's I think there's one one star, two 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 four stars two five stars. So the, the four-star is uh, called Historically Interesting. And it's three paragraphs <laughs> long. I don't want um, no, to.
4: Do the one-star or the five-star. That's the good stuff.
0: Yeah. So the five-star. Amazing to read uh, about an un- uneducated Joseph Smith and his knowledge of science before any of the renowned scientists. The church is true.
4: <laughs> Nailed it. Five-star.
0: <laughs> the next one is five-stars. The title of the, uh, the, the review is five-stars. And the text of the review is very good condition. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it arrived at my house in very good condition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then, okay, this is great. <laughs> so then the, the one star here is um, it's a guy by Kahunuakamakanaki Salanoa. It's a one-star review, and it says "not in English." That's that's the text <laughs> of the review. <laughs> I was duped. Um, and then the other maybe one, not, yeah, not in English. What? Of course, it was in. English. <laughs> what else would it be um,
4: It was translated into Portuguese yet, or, or what was that Tongan or something?
0: Yeah, it looks like this. This. Um, yeah, there, there's one. It seems like there's only one real substantive review. It's three paragraphs, though. I'm not gonna get into it.
4: Too much, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Uh, it's a good one though. It's not very long. Anybody out there who wants to read it? Go for it. Just go for a laugh.
1: Right, right. <laughs> Arrived in good condition is my favorite.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Book got here. Four stars. <laughs>
4: I low standards. That's good enough for me. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, so it's it's. Uh, I have all kinds of that stuff. I mean, I have that. Just I I loved. The kind of thing that felt like, as opposed to what Grant Palmer said, which is, you know, Mormonism is a mile wide and an inch deep or whatever. I was like, no, man, it's like two miles deep, but you just have to, like, navigate your way down there. You just got to keep digging. And and they, there's enough, like, little just sort of bizarre nuggets that, and yeah, never once do you stop and think, this is just total horse shit. <laughs> like, this does not make any logical or spiritual or doctrine. It just it makes no sense. But
0: Like, on what basis <laughs> am I making this leap to the next thing?
4: Yeah,
1: see, see the two miles deep thing. I immediately thought of you guys have seen the movie The Abyss, right? Ed Harris. Yeah. yeah. It, where the guy he he has to fill his uh, spacesuit, I mean underwater swimsuit, <laughs> with uh with water, the breathable water, because when you were babies you breathe, breathe water. See, Jake, that's how it works. <laughs> and so he immediately put
4: the breathable water
1: in his suit. And he's like, oh, dude, I can go to depths that no human can go. And so he jumped down the
4: abyss. Fun fact: Did you know that that, that breathable water is actually real? Is it? There's legitimately, yeah. There's a type of liquid that, or a type of, yeah, type of liquid that's so ox- oxygenated you can breathe it. Although supposedly it feels like an elephant standing on your chest.
1: Huh. Yeah, hmm.
4: yeah. Go check out David Blaine did a TED talk where he talks about it.
1: David Blaine actually did it.
4: Yeah, it was, it was part of an experiment to figure out a way to stay underwater for like over like 20 minutes or something like that, and he tried that first.
1: Yeah, but didn't he like stand over? Times square in like an ice cube or something like that.
4: Yeah. Infant style, no pants. No pants. (laughs) Infant style. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh.
1: No pants. Infant style. No pants. Infant style. (laughs) Oh.
2: Oh, oh, oh.
1: No pants. Infant style. (laughs) Oh. Oh, oh, oh. No pants. Infant style. (laughs) Oh. (laughs)
2: Oh, oh, oh.
1: No pants. Infant style.
4: <laughs> um. Yeah, that's not a good idea. You're not painting yourself in the best light. No pants in block of ice, like everyone looking at you. Yeah, like that. Well, and shrinkage that, take,
1: that must take, be terrible. Yeah, that's shrinkage squared. <laughs> right.
2: I was in the pool. I was in the pool. <laughs>
4: yeah, that's the trick. That was ta-da, it's gone. <laughs> ta-da.
1: <laughs> the other, the other experiment he was, ex, you know, exploring was the fact that can the penis actually go inverted? Yeah. Right. yeah. Right.
4: <laughs> Both proven yes, true on that fateful day. Joseph Smith has something to say about that. Joseph Smith. Right. If you put your finger by it and it jumps. <laughs> yeah. He had it a lot of penis experiments. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. The rod of Jesse. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> by the power of my magic wand, I think I can make you pregnant. Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> scientifically proven
1: there
4: yeah oh my gosh yeah that's that's apologetics for you man I mean it, it fills all kinds of needs but at its heart it actually I mean Jake what you're the questions you're asking are actually valuable because they actually don't matter I don't even think they matter actually to most Mormons it's such a weird cross-section of people that I think even care
0: Right, and they really do go miles deep. I mean, these if you look at Mormon Interpreter or any of these apologetic uh, – or, or, or their rival apologetic uh, organizations like the Firm Foundation, which that was the one – that's the model,
2: <laughs> right? And they, they
0: have all these infight – I mean, they, they're just – just pages and pages of ink has been spilled to – to fight between the two. And like, they'll, they'll go in <laughs> arguments with each other because they're, they're pulling from the same pool of donors. Cause there's only like 11 people in the world that are going <laughs> right. to donate. There might,
1: there might be at least 14.
0: Right. But yeah. I but this is, it's a small pool. Like there's not enough to sustain two. You know, I don't think there's going to be enough to dis- to sustain two apologetic organizations for any lengthy period of time.
4: Yeah, I think it's, well, it's like Bruce Armstrong like he he left like a map to his fortune, and only by deciphering obscure <laughs> more like national and treasure can you find it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Nick Cage all over again. End up in the cave in the hill, Kamora, right?
1: Right. <laughs> Got to break into the White House, find the map under the desk yeah. Which
4: Seriously, why has nobody dynamited that thing yet? Why has no one just secretly at night just, like, stolen a backhoe? <laughs> and just ripped it out. Just just once and for all. Just like, I'm going to show you, guys.
0: Because, yeah. Tom, you had that idea. You're just like, I mean, it's not that big of a hill. Just level it. We can find that stuff.
1: I totally agree. And, and, and I guess I should really do a GoFundMe and just get this sucker going, <laughs> you know?
4: <laughs> you never know, man. <laughs> Worst thing to find it just Kickstarter. We are blowing up the Hill Kimura.
1: <laughs> we're we're going to find all those Nephite, Lamanite bones once and for yeah. all steel swords have been
4: missing. Just wear your hard hat because all those r- treasures and riches.
1: Right. You know, you know, as fun as this is, and I, I remember a conversation uh, along these same lines going back to Santa, that somebody had told me that if Santa really lived in the North Pole wouldn't he at some point, or at least some of his elves or the reindeer, run across the Fortress of Solitude at some point? Because aren't they essentially in the same geographical area?
4: Oh, wasn't the Fortress of Solitude in the South Pole? Or was it? Was
1: Pol- it? Uh-oh. Oh, uh, we better get... A,
4: well, up there's on, no... The, the thing is, there's no
1: land in the North Pole. It's an ocean. No, it, there's ice. That's land, Jake. No, it's not. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, and even an iceberg can be,
4: like... Real estate. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid. I think you got, you have like a. Well, I mean, it's all ice, but it's, there's no,
0: there's no, there's no land mass on the top on the North Pole. But this ice, that's land. If you can
1: pitch a tent on it, it's land. But,
0: no, okay, it's let's, not. Let's see
4: how many emails we can. get. You understand that there's off. a <laughs> difference here, right? You... Definitively, I'm going to say that the Fortress of Solitude is in the South Pole, so that's like ten thousand emails. But
1: did you forward. just Google that, Sage? Because now I'm like super curious. <laughs> I got to get on on my Superman lore here.
4: <laughs> I, I didn't, but. <laughs> That's the way you apologetics, man. You just double down on whatever you're saying. It's the Trump strategy.
0: Nope, not wrong. That's right. They really Uh, did it. And...
1: Fortress of Solitude has its own wiki page. Hot. Damn. All
4: right. Drum roll. What is it?
1: Antarctic, Andes. Wait, what? In the the the, Arctic. I
4: I just heard Antarctic. That's South Pole. Damn it. Yes. No, so no, no, no. there but, you go. Just proved you wrong that Santa conflict
1: isn't. Fair enough.
0: Oh, wait, yeah, hold hold they, on. From
4: the second, you
1: solved my problem. <laughs>
4: from, the sec, from
0: the second, from the, the second uh, paragraph, it says, traditionally, this Fortress of so- Solitude is located in the Arctic. Though oh. more recent revisions of the Superman oh, comics yeah. have placed the fortress in other locations, including the Antarctic,
1: the Andes, and the Amazon
4: rainforest.
1: So yeah, maybe untraditionally it has been in the North Pole, Sage.
4: Oh, so see, so you're a traditionalist. <laughs> I'm a new age <laughs> supermanologist.
1: <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> it, part of it, what is it when they did DC did the reboot? Was it the New 52? Is that what they yeah, called yeah, it? Yep. So,
0: but yeah. I, I think I can solve that problem though, Tom, because and I think there's something uh, that it's it's the the fight club fix spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it um superman is santa claus that's how he can
1: go so fast and that's how he can deliver everything and and he and and not only that but he can spin the earth back in time if he's so oh, neat
4: bo- oh my oh. gosh oh my god and he uses x-ray vision to see all the naughty and nice kids oh man so he knows if they're sleeping <laughs> <laughs> this solves so much guys we got You're going to have to revise
1: your entire essay, Sage. Oh, shit. Damn. <laughs> Santa equals Superman. Boom. Faces melt off everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great
4: conspiracy. <laughs> Goodness. That actually makes a lot of sense. That And that's that actually <laughs> that actually scratched an apologist itch. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> that was, like, satisfying enough. I was like, yeah. yeah
1: that's yeah. the kind of thing that I would have totally <laughs> bought like,
4: into.
1: That's the kind of crazy I can totally invest in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so the resurrected Joseph Smith, yeah, hell yeah. So here, here's the question. Here's the question: Is
0: diving into and deconstructing these ridiculous arguments to the point <coughs> that if, if looking at the Santa analogy, you're looking at your your listener essay stage with the with you know where he talks about the speed that they would have to go and all that. Is it is that a useful process to kind of deconstruct the apologetic arguments on your way out? Like, is it is it therapeutic to do that? Is it necessary to do that? Because there are some people that can kind of just see, and I'm jealous of these people that can just kind of look at it, and and they can it can kind of all snap into place, and they're just like, oh, this is no, this isn't this isn't true, and then they can just walk away. They don't have to spend, um, you know, um, two months or two years or whatever you know deconstructing all of these arguments in the most sophisticated way possible they can just kind of look at it recognize it for craziness and walk away so why why not do that or like is there is there some use in being able to actually kind of pull them apart at a very fundamental level like the way you're doing it in the in the essay
4: I think for for me, uh, and even why I kind of do in the essay is because, yeah, it was, it was actually, I think it was necessary for me to go down that path. Well, really, I think from a matter of honor, almost, because, I mean, as I kind of, you know, I've mentioned in my story before, I mean, I really was a believer to the nth degree. I mean, I believed so much. And so for me, like, anytime I was like suffering or I had doubts or something pop into my mind, and I had this like sort of rule, it was like, okay, I wasn't necessarily I actually wasn't necessarily afraid of looking at say anti Mormon material, but it would be like if I look at say ten pages of that, I need to go look at ten pages of quote unquote church approved hmm. stuff, right? So for me it was almost like a matter of duty. It was like, okay, I need to brush up on what the argument actually is right before I, you know, kind of throw it, throw it away or something. And just like Tom said, you can go down this rabbit hole. But it actually worked. I mean the apologists I think would be flabbergasted if they realized just how much or how often their their work and their technique actually result in people leaving the church. I think that's actually what apolog- apologetics are written for is just people on their way out and they just want to make sure that they've turned off all the lights and kind of tidied mm-hmm. up and then you can close the door and just feel so confident because you're like no I have explored every possible angle and even these people that claim to be super bright and really well learned, it's still not as satisfying an answer as just, oh, yeah, this is probably not true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or it's for those that, uh, you know, have done enough mental gymnastics that it's, you know, they can actually sleep at night without, you know, waking up in cold sweats. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Right. And it just
4: gets, and it just gets exhausted. And that's almost what some people, I think, need to leave the church is to be so mentally exhausted with it that your defenses are down, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and I don't mean to ask that in like kind of an antagonistic way. It's just uh, for some people, and I think for there there are a lot of people out there that won't, or among the listeners that may not understand why it is that people spend time, you know, engaging these things, or you know, why would anybody spend an hour writing a, a very detailed blog post about a specific. Belief in Mormon culture, if you've already left, or belief of Mormonism after you've already left the religion. But, you know, for a lot of people, the way that they've been immersed in it, and if they've engaged in a lot of these apologetic explanations, it's a necessary and important exercise to kind of go through it and undo all of that kind of mental
4: torsion. Yeah. And that's actually, I've actually found. Cause I played, you know, the sort of essay just for some different people. And it, it was sort of universally true that the people that kind of got it and thought it was entertaining in any way whatsoever had gone down those sorts of paths. And the people that are like, I, I don't get it. It's actually, it is just sort of 20 minutes of nonsense. Why is this funny? <laughs> <laughs> people are like, yeah, I never believed that was true. Why would you do this? Or I didn't believe it was true. So that, yeah, it was, it was, for me, it was sort of a self-therapeutic thing of like, I need to sort of own up to the mental gymnastics, the sort of ridiculousness that I spent so long. <laughs> and now I sometimes kind of feel embarrassed about, you know, that's why right. they moved out of the church that it's not, it's, it's a weird, it's like, now I thought I was going to feel shame or embarrassment from members. Like, oh, I don't want them to see that. now I, you know, take a drink or I, I I'm not wearing garments or whatever, but now I'm like, I'm almost kind of embarrassed to my non-Mormon friends who are just kind of like, what took you so long, you know? Right.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is a hard conversation. Like, I guess I'm an idiot. (laughs) Sorry, guys.
4: I know. That's actually the hardest thing was like thinking about these people that just drove me crazy because they would like argue against the church and now have to think, oh my, now those guys are right. Like that, that sucks. That actually kept me in the church probably for an extra year or two just not having to admit that certain people were right
0: yeah it's true yeah. <laughs> that's true because there's this one guy that I ran that I ran into it was like my last cha- like my last exchange of my mission or something it was the last few months and he was in he you know we were talking about Mormonism or whatever he was actually an American guy and he was talking about why. It's ridiculous to believe in Mormonism and stuff. And he was just such a smug asshole. I hated this guy talking to him. But the thing, now I remember, like, he was talking about, you know, King James, uh, King James English in the Book of Mormon and and all the misrepresentations of Elijah and Elias. <laughs> he was saying all this stuff that, like, I later found out was true. But it was, it did hurt. It's like, oh, he was right. God, I hated that guy.
4: <laughs> but, yeah, what are you going to do? At a guy like that, too. you just I remember this dude that is really smugly and was on my mission I was like, Yeah, you'll see. Like in twenty years from now, you're gonna you're gonna realize I'm right and you're wrong, and you're gonna remember me. And god damn it, that guy was right. And I hate that guy. <laughs> <Okay>. And I <laughs> still hate him. Yeah. Still wanna punch him in his smug face, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I, I was listening to the recent uh, Sam Harris Waking Up podcast or whatever, and he said, you know, if we could just get a lot of these Christians to really, you know, wake up and realize how deluded some of them are. And then we've got the Mormons who take Christianity, who's who's got so much flaws in it all on its own. And then they add all this other bullshit on top of it. The fact that anybody believes in it at all just astonishes me. And I'm over here listening to it like, yeah, I did. <laughs> <Right>.
4: <laughs> <That was> me. <laughs> like freaking guys like Bill Maher, like being right, like ah. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah, it's a hard pill to swallow, but Yeah. This is part yeah, of my penance to sort of do that. There you know.
0: <laughs> right, you make these, these podcasts and talk about the uh...
1: there's other cool people that believed I swear
4: <laughs> yeah Yeah but it, you know it's because it, it just again it just it means that's what that's what I found frustrating was that for me going through apologetics and all these arguments like going down these paths um, that, the, that the essay sort of sort of parodies meant for me that I cared and that that's what drove me nuts was thinking like why don't you guys care like if this thing is true, like, yep. don't you want to dive into it? Like, if Joseph Smith is the most perfect freaking human being on the planet, like, why aren't you reading everything he's writing? Like, let's do this. Let's go. Yep. Uh, and then you realize why. But <laughs> Is that
0: part of the frustration or the smugness of being an apologist or having the, those, those apologetic arrows in your quiver in Sunday school is because you're like, yeah, if you were real Mormons, you know, if you really dedicated or really wanted to know, you'd learn all this stuff. But I'm gonna oh, yeah. smack
1: you around because I've I've done my homework. <laughs> I actually kind of felt like that once you died and you get to the afterlife, I would at least not be as surprised as some of the other guys. Like, exactly oh yeah, right. I, I, yeah i I totally felt, yeah, I knew what the judgment bar would look like. It was <laughs> going to be made of oak, not maple, or what whatever, you know, it'd just be like, yeah I, I studied up on this. what were you guys doing? Oh, you guys watching Netflix? Yeah, I told you, I told That's you right.
4: <laughs> well and there's actually i mean there are I mean there are allusions in Mormonism to the ultra elite inner circle, you know I mean, I was fascinated with stuff like the yep. second anointing. Yeah. And also, like verses in the Book of Mormon, that would talk about like the the True Church of the Lamb or something, which is supposed to be like this core, super awesome group yeah. of Mormons who really got it. And oh yeah, I hundred percent believe that I was probably at least buying a ticket to that club. Yeah, that's not that's, in it.
1: That's the super VIP group on <laughs> yeah. Earth. Yeah. yeah. To get the exclusive VIP heaven, you know, that's the first. Yeah, that's the first ballot.
4: Yeah, that's yeah. like the free lap dance section of the VIP lounge. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's, like, it's like yeah. Yeah, it's like exactly Jesus
1: right. mo- yeah, Jesus uh, moving the velvet rope. Like, no, you guys come on in.
4: Yeah,
0: no, you, you guys yeah. already know your shit. You're on, come on you're in. You're on the list. <laughs> <laughs> you're good to have sex with the planet. Who do you want? Venus. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> are how- we
1: about spent, man? Or do you want to go keep going, Jake? You're gonna keep grilling him. Well,
0: I, I just want to ask one other thing. Okay. Um, so, how are you approaching the Santa Claus question with your kids and in your family?
4: Ah, well, that's that's a really that's a really good question. Well, that's that for me, I think is why Santa. I mean, that's why it's the most used argument of all time, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that here we have every single person on the planet? Well, not everybody on the planet, but let's say everybody in America, everybody you'll ever meet, essentially, mm-hmm. literally went through the same sort of transition out of belief in something that it, it's almost identical to the transition out of belief in faith or God or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And it's so obvious and it's there and it's part of your life experience. And yet every single person that doesn't like, you know, that, that doesn't connect it to their to their current faith in God or whatever. It's just like, I don't know, for me, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing that all of us have basically been through this once and never used it as a tool, at least for a long time, never used it as a tool to then sort of apply those same analogical fallacies and gaps. And that's what really this is trying to be, is like, hey, look, potential believing member, if I can show you specifically how you could deconstruct something as silly as Santa. And if the whole time you're thinking like, yeah, Santa's just silly. Like, why would you go down these paths? My hope is that maybe one of these things kind of sparks an, Oh, <laughs> like aha moment, possibly. And yeah, it's right. kind of the same argument I'm using for other stuff. So, so for me, cause what's really interesting for me and my family right now is that, so I actually have, uh, like, I don't believe in, in God anymore. Like I'm comfortable with saying that now and, and, and moving to that position. And you do at a certain point as a, as a parent, sometimes the Santa thing actually feels really cruel. Like, Mm. I don't know if you've ever felt that Tom, but it's like, I, I would sometimes find myself like, why, why are we all playing this game to these poor, innocent kids that really believe man. And they believe. And, and so for me, our oldest is eight. And we just told her like, we like this year we were already going through enough stuff and it was just like hey you've probably heard at school kids talk about there not being a santa what do you think about that and she answered and said yeah yeah i don't i don't know if i believe i don't know if he's real or not we just said yeah he's not but why do you think people do this why do you think they talk about it and it led to a pretty good discussion of well it's fun and she saw her little brother who's four getting really excited about it and Mm. So, and, we, and we're we're letting him sort of buy into it, you know, because it's he's four and I don't think he understands, but it is hard. You definitely start seeing now the game that's being played, and at a certain point, it just kind of stops being fun and cute, and it actually does feel like I don't know. It feels like you're you're taking advantage of people. It's almost like it's too easy, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you I, to I
4: believe in like a, a global conspiracy. Like I guess there's a thrill in that, but.
1: <laughs> well, and I, 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 have fr- I have friends that, are, they, you know, they, they stand on that high moral ground by saying, I'm not going to lie to my kids. I'm going to tell them straight up, you know, that uh, there is no Santa or whatever. And like, uh, you know, I'm not going to, to be that parent that's going to have to deal with, you know, lying to my kids later on or whatever. But for me...
4: I Those smug masters, I hate those guys too. (laughs) (laughs) Smug masters. (laughs) You hear that? Like, no TV, our kid doesn't eat sugar or or meat, and also we don't tell him about Santa Claus. Like, yeah, I hate those guys too, but... (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't? It is a good question. I really don't know, and it's a question I even... I I, I don't know if you guys have thought about or done yet. Like, the Santa Claus question for me is the question of God, and I really don't know how to breach that subject with my kid. So, (laughs) that's probably a whole other podcast, but...
1: I think for me, and I know you, I, I think I unintentionally did it with our first, and and intentionally did it with our second, and then our my youngest is still, you know, neck deep into Santa Claus, which is fun. Um, I actually use it as a skeptical tool as well. Like sometimes I'll I'll kind of drop clues, like yeah, Santa hit every single house. I'll just drop things that you know some of the improbabilities of it all. Right. Like man, isn't that just crazy? He just hits every single house, chimney or not. Isn't that crazy? He like what does you think he lands on the on that roofs or in the front of the yard? Does he knock on the door, you know, and just to watch their right. their faces contort a little bit, like, huh, and, and you know, and then I'm like, what about all those, you know, what about all the homes? How does he know which homes are Jewish or Muslim? <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty crazy, poor, right? Poor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 nice sage. <laughs> Anyways, but because my my know my my middle child. When uh, he asks, when he says, we don't have one of those old style chimneys, just a gas fireplace or whatever. I was like, yeah, weird, right? He's like, yeah, but that means, like, how does he get in? I "I don't know. Maybe we should unlock the door, but but then he'll probably, we might hear him, right? Yeah, I guess we kind of would, right? Because he'd have all those jingle bells on him and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) This is weird. And just kind of see his brain overthinking it and then. Dude, it didn't take much longer before he's like, "Yeah, this is bullshit. I don't know what I was thinking."
4: <laughs> okay, so my my question to you guys, so for both of you, is, did or when did you stop believing in Santa Claus? And was it traumatic? Was it? Did you figure it out yourselves? Were you told?
1: I, I yeah, I, because I'm the oldest of, of my siblings, and yeah, I, I kind of quote caught my parents in the act. Not sex, <laughs> you got. <laughs> no, I when You're I, I, I style? Yeah, because I felt you know I was. For a little while, I was like the most energized, and I remember because <laughs> we we were downstairs, and I kind of snuck up, and I was kind of peeking in because I had this like I'm gonna catch Santa in the act, or I was at least going to get a peek of what the presents were before anybody else because I was so excited. And then I saw my parents, like, messing around in the living room. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? They should be in bed. What's going on? Like, They're going to catch you. He won't come. Are they, are they messing around with our presents?
4: Like, <laughs> they're playing with they, all your did toys. They,
1: <laughs> did, they just mess, did they just miss Santa? And now now they're, like, rearranging everything properly? Like, what's up? <laughs> and then, then, it you know, like, it didn't take much longer. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. And then, like, all the dominoes fell in my head. But, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, but it wasn't traumatic. No, I was kind of like, oh yeah. But then I, you know, I I played it up for my siblings. I was like oh yeah, you missed it, because I like to see their reaction. So.
0: Now with me, it was uh, you know, I kept the go kept it going for a long time. I lost belief really slowly over like a period of like two or three years. It and by the time I admitted, the thing is, I kept acting like I believed in Santa because my family was so excited about Santa that I was like. I'm not gonna let them down, you know. I guess I kind of felt like,
3: because yeah, they were yeah, like, "Are you excited for
0: Santa? Santa?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So I'm excited for Santa. You're, you seem to be excited for me to be excited about Santa. So, <laughs> I'm. So it was it, that went back and forth for like, for like a couple of years, and I think I was like ten or something. <laughs> it was, it was like the oh, Christmas the right world, before yeah. I turned ten. And we were in the grocery store, like on Christmas Eve, and we were picking up some like Christmas candy for like stockings or something. Uh, and then I just, I just turned to one of them. And I was like, "Look, I don't believe in Santa anymore." I just, and they were like, "Oh, finally!" <laughs> I was like, "Well, why didn't you tell?" Like, I was doing this for you. I haven't believed in this for
4: like two years. Oh, that's great!
0: So, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like a Mexican standoff of weird beliefs.
4: I actually remember. It was actually. I actually do remember. It was the first time I actually swore in my head. Because when I. I remember I was in the car, and this was like kindergarten. And I remember point blank asking my mom if Santa Claus was real. And her answer to me was, well, he's. He's real in the hearts of everyone who believes. Oh, in my little, no. Like five or six year old head. I was just like, bullshit. Like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
4: know. I knew for a fact that she was spinning, you know, just spinning a story for me. So was, she hesitated. Yeah. Hesitation. Uh, sort of, yeah. In your heart. I was like, it. oh, no. It's real. And it was a little devastating for me because I, yeah, I was fully on board, man. Oh,
1: man. That's your a- mom. Yeah. Dang. You dropped the ball. I Dang. Was,
4: yeah. <laughs> that's I, I. love the idea of you going bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this I little Mormon kid has no idea what he's doing.
1: I'm just picturing as soon as your mom, like, well, dude, all the air is just let out, really? like,
4: son <laughs> of bitch. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that that mirrors so closely. Like my my fall from Mormonism was just that sudden realization where all of a sudden all the wind just sucks out of the room. It's like yeah. whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> like, you just hesitated. Like, you can't hesitate. Right. It's <laughs> like, yeah, you know how the prophets, like, up there, you know, speaking to Jesus all the time in the Holy of Holies? i like, yeah,
2: well,
4: yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, 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 whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> it has to be 100% certain yeah, there's no, hesitation. The no! Historically yeah. accurate record of the American. Yeah! No!
2: Yeah. Oh! <laughs> no, not again.
4: Uh, <laughs> well, Joseph Smith <laughs> definitely didn't bang anybody. But emma <laughs> like a huge no. a long hesitation Ah, <laughs> oh. yeah just constant. Um, so have you heard of the law of sarah the law of sarah mm,
0: no i don't think so no i that that was kind of the, oh. the, a joke kind of riffing on that because i think law the law of sarah i think is the thing where Joseph like the first wife can refuse the husband, but if she does, fuck her.
4: Oh She's... yeah, that's right. Yeah. From I think that was. Right. Yeah, yeah. I keep, the wife has to give permission, but if she doesn't, then doesn't matter. Do it anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> dude, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start enacting the law of Sarah for everything. I'm like, can I have the last donut? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sarah. You obviously, haven't read clause forty-two, law
4: of Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> that's mine now. <laughs> I'm well, going to this... ask your permission to do something I was already planning on doing. That's the law, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you could have agreed with me and made this easier for both of us.
4: <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that what's so gross about 132 is that it actually feels like it is Joseph Smith just basically telling Emma this is all her fault. Oh, this is absolutely oh, yeah. what it is. Like, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's just so like – Yeah,
1: that's, the, that's some seriously manipulative stuff. Oh, man. But you know, there's other sections in the Doctrine and Covenants where he's chastising like Oliver, like you piece of shit. I told you not to ask, or whatever. You know? it's just like man. <laughs> he had to he had to use the voice of revelation to chastise these, you know, these guys. Is like, I could just see the smug look on his face as he's shrugging his shoulders, like I told you, <laughs> God told oh, me my. to tell you. It's, it's not really me.
4: God's chastising you. I know for but, a fact. You know, I, I guarantee you, you, Joseph Smith had the best smug grin of all time. He oh, right. like, kinda did that little shoulder shrug. He was like, aren't I a naughty boy? And then <laughs> I can, I'm
1: picturing like Oliver being like, I wanna translate. I wanna translate. You can try. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't I'm kinda chosen and stuff. I mean you can try it. Right. And then you when he fails he's just like, like a huge
4: yeah. idiot, go for it. All you're gonna see <laughs> is gibberish and a box of sand instead of gold. for one. <laughs> You see,
1: I mean, you can try to use a, your own seer stone if you want, but this one's mine. I don't know what to tell you, man.
4: Oh, you're not looking inside of it and seeing a uh, translation? Well, you're well,
1: okay. I guess I, God's totally doing it for me. Well, I mean, it's, I don't actually, it's
4: actually really easy. I actually I, I saw the Super Bowl like in this thing. It's <laughs> on a table on this thing. <laughs> yeah, I could read an Egyptian papyrus with it. It's
1: awesome.
4: Oh oh joseph that that should be the name of a sitcom just oh joseph,
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, joseph and he and he does all this
0: this would be a great sitcom because it would be set like an 80s sitcom laugh track everything That's right. but he would just do the most horrible shit like he would be talking about 132 now emma ooh, <laughs> you she know it's a bedroom can door there's
4: 44 women in there right all naked oh I'm and <laughs>
0: And he, he's like, Ugh. and then she's like, Oh, Joseph and everyone's like ha
1: ha ha, ha That's what the oing, oing sound effect, right? <laughs> <laughs> of all these women I only see one wife. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah.
0: That's long and white. Santa's gonna be that's long and white. Who comes round on special night? Santa comes round on special night. Special night.
4: Beard that's white. Must be Santa. Must be Santa. Must be Santa. Santa Claus. This is
1: Hillary, Matt. Ryan. Carol,
0: Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones.
1: You
3: can comment on this episode on the website, Infants And
0: if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did.
3: I did.
1: Anyone for the closing prayer?
3: Who's got a big red cherry nose? Who's got a big red cherry nose? Who laughs this way? Who? Who laughs this way? Who? Cherry nose, cap on head, soon that's red, special night, if that's right. Must be Santa, must be Santa,
2: must be Santa, Santa Claus.
3: Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.